um, to speak to us. We pray that as, as we just address this topic of lust and sex, it, Father, it is, it is a subject that is, um, that is real, uh, that is deep, that we have had, we've all experienced this. And it can be really personal and, and, and there's some deep hurts in this room. And so, Father, I just want to pray that you would be comforting, that you would help me to be sensitive. We would also hear the truth. Help me to speak with truth and grace this morning. And that you would really show us who you are and your plans and your purposes for your people. So please, Lord, bless our time this morning. Give me strength to do this, Lord. Amen. You know, there are things in life that are, are great and good and fun and helpful, but also quite dangerous at the same time and need to be treated uh, properly and handled with caution. You know, things like uh, the ocean, for example, like, you know, it's great on a summer's day to go to the beach, have a swim, cool down, all that sort of stuff. But also we've got to be careful of, you know, waves and currents because, you know, they can cause um, um, drownings. Things like fire, right? Fire. So we have fire. We use fire all the time. It's a great gift from God. We use it in so many ways, but we have to handle it with caution. Things like, you know, kitchen utensils like knives that we use every day and tools that are useful, but they also can be quite dangerous. My brother is a, uh, a builder, and uh, he, uh, he tells me the story one day where he was using a thing called an angle grinder. Now, he would say that an angle grinder is probably one of, the, one of the most dangerous tools to use. Here's a photo of it right here. This is an angle grinder. An angle grinder can pretty much cut through anything. Uh, it's got a diamond, diamond blade on the front of it. You can see it there, and it can cut through almost any material. Anyway, he said uh, one day he was cutting this, this big piece of metal, and uh, he was standing over it with the angle grinder down at his foot, and he was standing over it like this, and he was using it. And uh, you can see there, there's no safety guard on it. There's no safety catch on it. So uh, it's, it's quite, quite a dangerous tool. And what often happens when you're using the angle grinder is, and there's bigger ones and smaller ones, it often can catch in what it's, what it's cutting through. If it catches, it kicks up. It kicks. So you've got to really put some weight on it. Otherwise, if you, put to, if you don't have enough weight, it'll kick up at you. And the blade spins so, so, so fast. So it cuts through anything. Anyway, he was standing over his angle grinder one day, and he was standing, let me set up on the stage so you can see me. He was standing like this, right, with an angle grinder down like that. He's using it, it kicks up. Now, where can it go if it kicks up? It kicked up and went up, and it cut through his shorts, it cut through his undies, and it stopped. Right, he stopped there. He, he, he checked himself and went, yeah, holding undies? Yep, no, nah, everything's fine. He's gone, <laughs> he's gone on to have two kids, so he's fine, right? So we know that he's all good. He's had children. But uh, he tells that story saying, it's quite a dangerous tool. But he needed to be more careful with this tool because it could have caused some real damage for him. There are, there, as I said, lots of things in life that are, are good and to be enjoyed, but to be handled with care, otherwise they can cause harm and damage. And today we're looking at something that God has designed. It's from God. It's a gift from Him. It's to be enjoyed, but when used the wrong way, causes harm and severe damage. And it's to be handled with proper care and respect. And we're jumping in the deep end today. We're jumping into the deep end of looking at sex and sexual desires. In this passage we're looking at today, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to hear from the creator of sex and what he has to say on this topic. Now, I, I don't have to tell you that we live in a world that is, uh, seems to be a bit sex-crazy, 
Uh, we all see it, experience it, uh, watch it. That's our world at the moment. It's our culture. We know that. And it affects how we relate to one another, how we dress. It affects how we use social media. It affects what we watch. And it affects how we relate to the opposite sex in relationships. And where, and where do we even start on the issue of pornography? You know, I, I've seen and spoken to so many people who have been deeply hurt or have hurt others when it comes to this issue of sex and sex, sexual desires, and it leaves scars that take time to heal. A lot of people that I sit with and I talk to, this is often what comes out. And so often we can go to the Bible and go to God and we can look at what he has to say and we think, well, no, God, that's irrelevant. You are out of date. You are out of touch. This was written so many thousands of years ago. What you have to say on this issue does not relate to now and to our culture. You are out of date, God. And people who actually follow what God says in the Bible and how they relate sexually, they're often laughed at and mocked and saying, you are, you are too extreme, you are too conservative. That is not the way to live. You are out of date. And God is often seen as the one who tries to stop us from having fun or expressing ourselves sexually. But I wonder if you've ever thought and looked at carefully what God says about sex and sexual desires and its right place in our lives. And I wonder if you ever join the dots on who God is and what he has to say. See, I, I think as we approach a topic like this, it's super important to firstly start with who God is, that he's a God who is gracious and compassionate and loving and, and, and generous and a, and a dad who loves us beyond what we can understand or comprehend. And when he says that to use sex and sexual desires this way, he says it out of a deep love for us. Because that's who he is. And we can trust him when he says, use it this way. And as we approach this topic today, that's quite a heavy topic, I want us to keep that in mind, that this is the God who is speaking, the God who loves us, who cares for us, who gave his son for us, who didn't hold anything back for, from us, are saying this. Otherwise, we can sit back and go, God, you're being harsh. God, you are just wanting nothing. You are wanting me to have no fun at all. We've got to frame it like that. God loves me so much and Jesus gave his life for me. But when he calls me to treat sex this way, I go, yeah, I get it because you love me so much and it's for my good and for my safety. That's why you say it. I want that the way to approach today. So we're going to jump into this passage. Um, we come to the Sermon on the Mount. Again, uh, Jesus is here. He's speaking. He said he's come to save people from, from sin and from death. And he comes and then he, uh, he teaches. This is his first real teaching on what it looks like to be part of his kingdom, to be one of his followers. This is not how to become a follower, but rather how to live once you are one. And Jesus is calling himself, uh, those followers to himself and shaping what it truly means to be one of his. And so far we've seen it's pretty full on what he's saying. Right? So we've seen that he's pretty, he's pretty intense and he's pretty full on. He's raising the bar again and again and again. We're using this phrase here in this series that Jesus is saying the radical is a new normal for, for him. Radical is a new normal. Uh, his followers will live a radical life. And today we are just looking at four sentences. They're, they're pretty small, but they are, they are full of, of deep truths that we're going to jump into. And we can see again he's not playing around. And I suspect with, with this topic that we're looking at today, it will create discussion. It will create questions in your mind. Uh, it may even cause a few controversies, but I want to say that that's, that's a good thing. 
Because as we think on this issue, we start engaging what Jesus is saying, the hope is that Jesus will move us to more like his son through this, uh, more like himself through this. So I want to say, let this challenge you. Ask questions. If something doesn't sit right with you, come and talk to me. I want us to be engaged with this issue rather than just pushing it aside and turning a blind eye to it. It's the hope. And let me just add, as we look at this, I want to say that if you were here this morning and you, uh, you don't know who Jesus is and you don't proclaim to be a follower of him, I want to say we love that you are here. Thank you for being here with us. And it can be awkward to come to a building where there's full of Christians. I want to say thanks for coming here. We love that you are here. Our big focus is to help people see who Jesus is. And, we're, and, and, and looking at this topic today of sex and, and sexual desires, it's very confronting. And I think we can often hear what the church is saying on these issues and go, no, out of date, irrelevant. But I want to try and frame it in this way. This that we're looking at today is primarily aimed at followers of Jesus. And I think sometimes uh, in the church, we can make the issue of marriage and sex the main issue, the front door, if you will. But I think that's putting the horse, the cart before the horse. Is Jesus' Bible te- uh, and the Bible's teaching on sex and marriage good for everyone? Yeah, it is. Uh, 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 is it helpful for all society? Yeah, it is. But is it the main game and the main issue? No, it's not. If you don't know who Jesus is, the main aim is to come to know who he is, to understand him, to see, to see if he's real, to figure out whether you have a relationship with him. That's the main game. And that's our hope. You know, once you figure out who Jesus is and you want to follow him, then yeah, live like he calls you to live. But the main thing is to figuring out who Jesus is first. And, and I hope that makes sense. And I just want to say that at the beginning as we jump into this big issue here. So we just have four sentences. We're going to have a close look at what he says. They're going to be on the screen, the first two sentences. I'll read it for you. Sentences 27 and 28 says this. You have heard, it say, uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say uh, to you that everyone, any, everyone who looks at a woman lust, with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. But just like last week, Jesus keeps saying this, this phrase of, you've heard it said, um, do not commit adultery. And here again, he's quoting this, the Old Testament. The Old Testament is often known with some of its rules and teachings as the law. And he's, saying, he's, he's pointing back to the law. And here Jesus is primarily quoting one of the Ten Commandments, don't commit adultery. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And he's speaking to a Jewish audience that would have known the Ten Commandments, but he goes on to get to the heart of the matter. He, to get the, he wants the heart of the matter, the, the, the point of what it's saying. And he says, he says there to everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. Last week I was saying, Jesus is not on about um, just simple behavior modification. Uh, he's on about the heart. He knows that we live out of the heart, make decisions out of our hearts. So he wants to get to the heart of the matter. So again, he swims upstream and gets to the real issue, the lust in the heart. This is the big thing we'll keep on seeing. Jesus wants your heart. He wants to shape and change your heart. He says there in sentence 28, you've committed adultery where? In your heart, is what he says straight away. Now, Jesus doesn't unpack it here, but later on, if you keep reading on in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 19, Jesus will go and he'll talk about his view of marriage and sexuality. 
And everything for Jesus is basically shaped by the Bible, by the Scriptures. Particularly the very beginning. Really, for Jesus, a lot of his, a lot of his teaching is based on this pages 1 and 2 of the Bible. The very beginning. And he talks about how God made, uh, made humanity, male and female, to reflect the image of God. Uh, those beings are one humanity, yet both distinct. And they reflect the image of God. And there's something profound and powerful when these two, two people come together and make a lifelong commitment, a lifelong covenant together. And there's a union of heart and mind and body. And this, out of this new, new relation, this new lifelong covenant, comes uh, uh, nurture and families and communities and so on. And this is the vision of pages 1 and 2 of the Bible. And this is what Jesus cites, and he affirms that from the very beginning. It's what Jesus is teaching. And so Jesus sees here this marriage bond, this marriage covenant, this relationship, this lifelong union is so sacred, it's so beautiful, and that anything would threaten that or distort that is actually a distortion of what it means to be made in God's image. And that's what he's really fighting for here in this passage. So he cites, don't commit adultery. That is, don't end up in bed with someone who isn't your covenant marriage partner, is what he's saying. But for Jesus, that doesn't get close enough to the heart for him. That's not enough for him. And it makes sense, right? Because, think about this. How, how do you actually end up sleeping with someone who's not your marriage partner? It's not like you just wake up one morning and go, what? How did this happen? That's crazy. Like, it's not, that's not how it happens. You wake up to someone who isn't your, your, your marriage partner, it's a, it's a slow, simmering issue of heart that has been going for a while. It starts in the heart. And Jesus knows this, and so he wants to travel upstream to get to the core of the issue rather than just dealing with the outward sign. That's what he's dealing with here. I'm, a, I'm not the greatest uh, handyman. I've just, uh, I'm getting better, though. I'm practicing. Um, I just built a brand new path that I'm very proud of. I admire it every day when I walk on it. Um, but I, but I'm, not, I'm, not great, and I, I'm not great at it. We have this issue at the back of our house where um, uh, every time it rains, our, our roof leaks in the same spot every time, just above our back doors. Every time. So what do I do? I just get some towels and put them on the ground and soak the water up. Now, that's not going to fix a problem. Um, uh, it's going to stop the floor from getting wet, but it's not going to fix the problem. Because I look outside, I say, my gutters are full of leaves. I need to clean that, but instead I just put towels on the ground because it's just easier for me to do that. <laughs> and I don't want to climb the ladder and get on my roof. And so the problem is, though, I can put the towels on the ground, soak the water up, but the leaves are the problem. Until the leaves are, filled, are cleaned out of my gutters, the problem will never go away. And I need to deal with the problem at the core of the problem rather than just dealing with the symptoms of water coming onto my floor. I need to get to the core of the heart of the matter. And Jesus is saying, this is what he's saying right here with this idea of adultery. He's saying, let's get to the heart of the matter. It's just not just about ending up with someone in bed. He, he locates the heart issue much further upstream, the core of the issue. But what does it mean when he says, um, uh, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully. What, what does that idea lust mean? It's not really a, a word that we use in our day, is it? Like, it's very much a religious word, lust, isn't it? So let me try and spell out what Jesus is saying here. What does lust mean? Um, the key word is looks. 
A look can mean a glance, or it can mean a stare, or it can mean a few things. But, but we know the difference, right? Like, I can, I can look at someone, I can look at Chris and just glance at him, or I can look at Chris and really stare at him and his beautiful eyes. I can gl- stare at him. And here Jesus is talking about the onward-going stare. This stare, staring at someone. But staring for what? Sentence 28 tells us. It's about its purpose, its intent. It's staring at a woman in order to fuel a sexual desire in you. So Jesus is not talking about a glance, noticing someone's attractive. And this happens, a world full of beautiful people that God has created. What Jesus is getting at is our heart's intentions, the choice you have after you've noticed that person. Do you choose to move on, not think about them anymore? Or do you choose to foster a deep, a deep in your heart a sexual desire for them? Which is what the word lust means. And most of you know what I'm talking about. You've either probably been the victim of one of these stares. You know, you know what Jesus is saying. Or you have done one of these stares to someone before. And you know what Jesus is saying. You stare at someone, you make that little movie inside your head. Start fantasizing about them. Jesus knows this. And the movie you play in our head after looking at someone lustfully, no one knows about it. It's a secret. It happens inside. It's a private matter. And Jesus says, that is where the issue is. It's inside. It's in the heart. And it's a choice to let something like that take root and you fuel it. Jesus, what he's saying here is pretty Pretty radical. He's setting that bar quite high. You know, I'm sure if you would have heard, don't commit adultery, they go, yeah, tick, done. When he says, actually, don't even lust after anyone. Don't even stare at anyone and let that take root in your life. Jesus is saying, that's what I'm calling you to be. But, what, but why, you might be sitting there thinking, well, why is he so full on about this? It's a private matter. It's in my life. It's in my heart. Why, why is he so extreme? Why, why is he so full on for him? My movie in my head, what's the big deal? What does it matter? Well, you see throughout the Bible, the whole Bible, especially in Jesus, he's really serious when it comes to sex and sexual desires. Jesus is not a prude. He's not trying to stop anyone from having fun or enjoying themselves. He's not against sexual desire. Again, if you actually go back to Genesis 1 and 2, God made the male and female, they come to this union, and the first command that uh, that God actually gives to Adam and Eve is to be fruitful, multiply, to have sex. It's his first command to them. God designed sex and sexual desire. And at the end of that, he said it was very good. It was very good. That's what he described it as. There's a book in the Bible that's all about sexual desire, sexual passion. And it's pretty full on. Um, This book was given to us by God, the Song of Songs. Don't read it if you blush, because it's very full on. But that is given to us by God. That passion. So Jesus knows what sex and sexual desire and passion is and, and being God in the flesh he created and he said it was good at the start and he gave it to us as a gift. But being the creator of this, he knows the power of it. He knows how powerful it really is. And he knows if it's used improperly, it can cause destruction and pain and hurt. Just like the idea of the tool, the anger grind at the start with my brother. If you don't handle this well, if you don't handle things like fire well, it will hurt you and harm you. And Jesus is saying it's the same with sex and sexual desire. That's what it is. He's saying it's good, sexual desire is good, when used the way that I created it for. In a lifelong covenant. 
And when sex and sexual desire is safe in this covenant relationship, it can express its full purposes without harm or destruction, being harnessed and used for what God intended. But the moment that protective covenant is removed, this power, this sexual desire, that is meant to bind two humans together forever and then it's pulled apart, that's when harm and destruction gives way. And then we can get remorse and guilt and regret and the hurt of bad sexual decisions. And so Jesus isn't stupid. He gets this. He understands this. And I would even argue that Jesus and the Bible have the highest view of sex. The highest view of sex. They see it as utterly sacred and utterly beautiful. And I would say that it's our culture that treats body and sex as mere, a mere animal appetite. You can take and choose whoever you want, whenever you want. And you can start to see why Jesus is really full on about this topic. Why he's so serious. Let me give you another reason why he's so serious. In Matthew 22, a man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, tell me what is the greatest commandment? What's the purpose of life, really? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he says. Do this and you'll and you, you have the kingdom. So we have, this, we have this love ethic that Jesus gives his followers. His people are to be like. That's our purpose. Made in the image of, everyone's made in the image of God. Therefore, we're to love God, know his relationship, know his grace, a personal relationship with him. And out of that, love everybody, no matter who they are, because everyone has, has, should be loved because they're made in God's image. But how does that relate to lust? Well, what happens when we lust after someone or we stare at someone to fuel a sexual desire in us? Isn't it that we are, aren't we just using them? They don't even know that we're what we're doing to them. It's against their will in a sense. And Jesus is saying it's a huge deal because it tells, it, it, it shows what you think other humans exist for. The action of lust, whether we say this or not, what it says is that other people play a role in my story of maximizing pleasure for me. Other people exist so I can gain pleasure from their body parts. That's what people are for, because that's what's happening. You stare and you generate this move in your head and using their body for your pleasure. And Jesus is saying that you are violating what you're called to do. You're violating what it means for them to be in the image of God. You are not loving God, loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what he's saying. This is why he gets so worked up on this issue. And he's so strong on this issue. I'm sure if you've been around kids at all, whether you're a parent or not, you've, you see that how uh, self-seeking that can be at a very young age. Um, you can see this very quickly. Uh, you put a bunch of kids who are similar age, one or two, into a room with their toys and say, share your toys. It's not going to happen, right? It's survival of the fittest. Mine, 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 mine. What happens? I have three of my own, and I get to see this firsthand every day. Uh, my kids are beautiful. They're beautiful, and I love them so much. And they'll come to me and say, Daddy, I love you so much, is what they often say to me. But it's often not how they treat me, because they're little. As a parent, I can feel like my whole life is about serving them. It's very much not very often the other way. You know, I, I feed them, uh, I look after their needs, I clean up after them, I take them places, we cook food for them. That's how it works. And I know they're still learning and they can often say, forget to say please and thank you. And, and when I'm grumpy and in a bad mood, I would say, I'm not a slave of yours. And, you know, it's probably about more my sin than theirs. Um, but I know they love me and they're still learning what it means to love me back. 
They're still learning what that looks like in their life. No, they will. I'll get there. See, because what is love? Love in action elevates other people. It honors other people. It protects other people. It honors their dignity. And it seeks their well-being often above your own and your own cost. And Jesus calls his followers to love people radically. So to treat others as a body to be used to, for your pleasure degrades them and does not love them as you're called to. And it, ticks, and it ticks Jesus off when we treat each other this way. See, lust is the opposite of love. I just want to make an observation and, and um, I hope this isn't out of line and I don't want to offend anyone by this. But I've been thinking about this for a while, and I've, and I've run this past a bunch of women, both single and married, to see if this is okay, and they said yes, so let me go on this. It's not a good start, is it? It was like, what's he going to say now? Uh, <laughs> lean in, he's going to say something really random. Anyway, here we go. Jesus is speaking against lust and reducing people to their body and to their appearance, right? Just to their appearance. And I guess we are like, yeah, hate that, hate that, wrong, wrong, wrong. We're way more than our appearance and our outward looks. And we sometimes live in a, we, I think we live in a culture that's obsessed with how we look and dress and our body image and all that sort of stuff, right? We know this. Can I say then, can I encourage you to do this for me? When you see somebody, when you first meet somebody and see them, or see a fo- photo of them on social media, please don't make the first thing you comment about their looks. You know what I see regularly on social media? And I, I've just noticed this. And Someone posts a photo on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, the first thing people comment is, you know, babe or hot or look at you. I don't know. For me, I think it just plays into our appearance-obsessed culture. We've reduced them again to their looks, to their image, to what they look on the outside. And I know, when I talk to people, and I know for me too, that, that, that we, we are so ingrained and obsessed with what we look like because we want people to think of us. And I, I just want us to be a people in a church who see past the outward appearance, who see the person on the inside and comment what they are like, their character, rather than what they look like, what they dress, or, or, or the new thing they have, or whatever it is, what photo they posted. Just an observation that, that, I, that I've noticed, and I, want more, I hope that it's helpful as you move on with this. We are more than our appearance. We are more than our bodies. But moving forward on these last two sentences, before we do that, I just want to show you one more thing that I've noticed. I don't know if you've noticed when we were reading this before, that when Jesus speaks on this issue, do you notice who he addresses it to? He addresses it to men. It's interesting, isn't it? He addresses it to men. Do you notice he says... Don't look at a woman lustfully. A woman lustfully. It's not men and women. It's a woman lustfully. Then he goes on to say, uh, if he's, he has committed adultery in his heart. That's weird. What, why? Why, why is he doing this? You know, surely Jesus is not stupid. He knows that women struggle with lustful thoughts too. So why, why is he saying this? Put a thick of this for a second. Throughout history of the human race, in general... Which gender has turned sexual desire into a tool of violence and oppression over the other? It's men, right? 
Jesus is speaking to his followers, to his people, to what his, what his kingdom, his rule will look like now. And it's starting now and it will grow and it hit consummation when he returns. And he's saying, this is what my kingdom will look like. This is what my people, my kingdom to act like. I think he's saying here, he's, he's referring first to the men. He's, he's challenging men to say, let me have your heart on this issue of lust so that in my kingdom, women will feel, women will feel safe. Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, women will be safe. They are not just their bodies or their looks or to be lust after. They are more, way more than their appearance. Women are image bearers, equal image bearers in, in God's kingdom and God's rule. And they are to be honored and respected and valued for who they are. And Jesus gets angry when they are treated any less. That's what he's saying here about what his kingdom will look like. But finally, just, just, just briefly, and it's a lot briefer, these last two sentences, Jesus sort of raises again the intensity of what he's talking about here. And look at this, sentence 29 and 30. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members and the whole body be thrown to hell. Right hand causes you to sin, throw, uh, cut it off, throw it away, for it's better for you to lose one of your members and the whole body go to hell. And Jesus does this to grab their attention. He's like, do you get what I'm saying? Do you see how serious this is? I'm not playing around. He's, he's not commanding self-mutilation because we know that the eye and the hand aren't the issue. It's, it's more the heart. But he's saying something more like, if, if something is ruining you, if something is causing you to sin, even if it's as useful as your hand or your eye, he's saying, don't think twice, get rid of it. Cut it out. Kill it. He's saying, don't mess with it. It will consume you. It will consume you. And he's talking here about the layer of lust and sexual desire. And Jesus is saying that if sex and sexual desire is not in the safe haven of the covenant, it will consume you, it will destroy you. And so he's saying, deal with it now. Don't mess around with it. Don't toy with it. Don't make excuses for it. Don't excuse it. He's saying, run from it. Deal with it. It's a monster that will eat you alive. And it will ruin relationships around you. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you experience what I'm talking about here. Let me go with the obvious one first. Pornography. The pornography industry makes billions of dollars every year. Economies are built on this, this industry and it's based on the degrading of people. And its main aim is to lure people in by sexual desire so they can feed these desires in their heart. And it's like in our Western culture, sexualized culture, we've become just used to it. And it's almost normal. You know, I even heard this week that someone was arguing for, I think it's either late, high sc- uh, late, late primary school or early high school, for children to be shown pornography as a form of sex education. There's some horrifying stats that the average age of children seeing pornography are 8, 9, 10 years old. That's one year older than my son. That freaks me out. And pornography traps men and women. And I've sat with countless people who confess this to me. They are slaves to it. And it affects how they view everything. I've sat with people who have racked up thousands of dollars worth of debt on pornography. We've let porn and the sexualization of our culture become so normal that we now accept anything as pretty much normal. We watch anything on TV and on movies. And we get hooked. And we lived in a pornified culture. If you struggle with porn, 
or even if you go to social media to fulfill that lust that burns within you, I want to say firstly that Jesus does not hate you. He does not hate you. He loves you so much, and here he's announcing a way to rescue you. He loves you so much that he gave his life for your lustful ways. He died for them, and he dealt with them on the cross, and he said, it is finished, you're no longer a slave to this. And he gives you his spirit. He gives you him to fight in you, to say no to these desires and to that way of thinking. And he says, you are a new creation. And I have freed you. But he says, we must act and take this seriously. If this thing here, if this phone, if this phone that you have, this smartphone of yours, causes you to sin, what does Jesus say? Throw it away. Just cut it off. Go and get a dumb phone with no incident on it. Go and get one. Yes, it will be awkward. Yes, it will suck. Yes, it will be really slow on the internet. We won't have an internet at all. But Jesus is saying that dumb phone may just save your soul. If your laptop causes you to sin, get rid of it. There's a guy I was discipling, and he was struggling with porn. I said, give me a laptop. And so he did. Four months, I had his laptop. He didn't go on the internet. Now, does that fix the problem? No, but it gives his heart time to seek Christ and find a better way. Jesus is saying today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. He's saying today, act. Cut sin off. Turn to the one, Jesus, who loves you, who cares for you, who has set you free. Turn to the people of his community, the church, for help, for prayer, for accountability, for a way forward. Jesus has taken away your guilt and your sin and your shame. Therefore, we can go to people and say, hey, I need help. If you can't think of anyone to speak to, come and find me. I'll be at Piccolo's, right? You know, um, Come and find me. We can chat. And I promise to walk with you and together to find a way forward out of this slavery. I promise. Jesus knows how serious this issue is. That's why he uses the language of hell. He's not saying that's the last is the unforgivable sin. He's not saying that at all. He's saying that if this issue goes left unchecked, it will consume you and lead you away. But I just want to, I'm going to finish up with this, but I want to broaden this out. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're in a relationship with him, you know him, and, you're in a, and uh, you are in a sexual relationship that isn't your marriage partner, Jesus is saying to you here today as well, act. Don't do that. He's saying, cut it out. What's this calling you to do? He's saying it's feeding lust in your heart. And it affects you and people around you. He's calling you to act. He says, and again, he says it because I love you. I'm not trying to be a, he's saying, I'm not trying to be a prude. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm saying it because I created you and you're so special to me and I don't want you to cause harm to anyone else. But the question is, will you listen? Will you listen? Do you trust him? You trust him. You know, you know, today I know this has been a, a heavy word, and I think it follows the tone of the passage. I've just tried to follow what's going on here. But I want to say, and I want to finish with this. If you've had bad sexual relationships in the past, ones full of pain and of hurt that have left scars, or even if you're one, in one right now, and you're feeling guilty and crushed and weighed down, I want to say there is healing and there is hope in the gospel. Jesus knows you and he loves you. He knows what you've been through and you have not affected his love for you. He's calling you back and saying, come to me. 
There's nothing you could have done to change his grace or his care for you. His death on the cross has covered all your sexual past. You are not defined by your past. It's not who you are. You're a child of the living God. That's who you are. But he says, come to me. I love that he says, God says, lamentations, my mercies are anew each day. Today's a new day and tomorrow's a new day. And my mercies are anew to bring you healing and comfort. God is not distant from this. He is near. But he's saying, run to me and find peace and grace and mercy for healing. He has dealt with your past. And he promises you a new beginning. That's who he is. He's our redeemer. I don't know about the band up. We're going we're gonna to sing and, and respond in, in, in song. But I want to say today, if, if you've heard God's voice, don't harden your heart to act. He loves you and he cares for you, but do something about it. Don't just, don't, please don't just sit here and feel convicted then go away and do nothing about that. Act. If you're a follower of Jesus, the radical life means having sex and sexual desire in its proper place, its God-given place. I'm going to pray for us. Our great God, we want to thank you that you love us with a love that is, is unending. And, and we, as we dive into this big issue that is sensitive for so many of us, I just want to pray that you would be our healer, that you would be our comfort, our rock. We would not see you as someone who is distant or who is angry but who, or who is disappointed, but one who is near, who loves us, who is personal, who brings healing and peace and comfort. We pray that we would run to you, that you would, you would be our refuge and our strength, that we would throw off our old ways. We are not defined by who we were. We are defined by the love of our King whose love will not change, will not end. So, Lord, help us to be people who run to you. Help us to be a church, a community who accept for one another for who we are as broken people who are all in the need of God's grace. Lord, help us to act today, we ask. Help us to see this issue and act and kill it, knowing that you have promised a better way. Help us to believe that truth. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the promise of hope and for healing. Help us be people who live in light of that hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll give you a few minutes to to reflect, to respond, whatever you need to do to do some business with God.